Return to Northmore. Meta episode 4.5. Running time, 50 minutes. This is Tim. This is a continuation of the meta episode which we began in our last episode where we had sat down with our players to reminisce over the first two seasons of Return to Northmore and discuss the highlights of what had happened. This is an explicit episode. There is no amount of beeping that could possibly make this episode worthy to tender ears. So if you are tender in the ears, please do not listen to this episode. Enjoy. I want right now while everyone is listening to give a little defense towards my dice. (laughs) (laughs) He's defending the offensive. Here we go. No, I just, one of the things that I try to do very much so, and I have since the beginning is that, and you all know exactly who I'm talking about when I get into this. Oh no. There are players out there who are honest about their dice rolls, and there are players out there who are less than honest about their dice rolls. I take pride in the fact that I love the random element of the dice. And I stand by them. And part of the reason I stand by them, quite honestly, between the listener and me right now, if you're listening, is that Tim, Tim won't kill anybody. That's just between you and me. Nobody. <laughs> Tim won't kill anybody. So, although Tim has killed me in the past. Yeah, but you've wanted it. I know why. We won't talk about any of those instances. So, my point is, is that whatever the die roll is, I throw that big monster right in the middle of the table. Everybody sees it and away I go. It's I do not believe it's just a... Five. I do not believe in such thing as good dice and bad dice, luck or bad luck. It's a one. It is a 20-sided object that ultimately has a one Wick, in 20 chance of landing on any random object. Wick it's was 20. just very unlucky. Yeah. Needless to say, as you have been listening, my dice have in the past rolled rather poorly. You rolled poorly. They result. Okay. Well, I have rolled. I did not put it. Whatever it was, I got crap rolls time and time again. Yes. Which, let me tell you this. Everybody, when they create a character, has an, a, a vision about what that character is, what their character is capable of, what possibilities lie within that character. Now, when you make a fighter... What a letdown for you. You know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. When you're making a fighter, was be. your only hope as the fighter is when it comes to blows, you'll be able to some degree to carry or save the party. That's it. That's all you want as the fighter. You want ultimately for that stupid die roll, no matter what it is, you roll the four and somehow you kill the dragon. That's all you really care about as the Dude, fighter. I was rolling twos. I don't care what you were rolling. We're talking about me now. This is about me. <laughs> this is about my dice. Enough about you. Let's talk about me so for a while. You end up with a situation where here you are. You've got the ultimate moment. You've got players that are dying left and right. You've got the bad guys that have surrounded you. You've got an opportunity to step up to the bad guy. You swing that mighty sword. And it's a four. And it's a four. Fucking four. So, now any one instance, and sevens, any one instance Everything of that, below and, a 10. and you're good. But when it comes again and again, where suddenly the cleric's doing more damage than you, the thief's doing more damage than you, and God forsake, the friggin' warlock half carrot <laughs> is doing more damage than you at that point. It's a, uh, it's a little bit disheartening. But somehow, <laughs> some way, after my little hiatus, the dice turned around. Karma, juju. He took him to a grinder. I stood by my dice. I didn't put them in your silly die prison. I simply rolled them. <laughs> you have a die prison? I rolled them until I liberated the numbers from them. <laughs> Dan oh again and again. Dan pitched one into the library last week. Actually, what I do is I put it on an 18 and then I just roll a 12-sided right next to it. No. <laughs> but seriously. At this but point, seriously, folks. Yeah, it, it sucked early on. However, I was willing to stand by it. You know, to me, that's just that's hey, part whatever. of the humor of it. And ultimately, it made perhaps 
encounters that otherwise might have been a lot quicker than they were a little more dangerous which i would point out in spite of my shitty rolling none of us died nobody will die how close have people gotten to death Pyre has had to make death rolls twice I know I've had to make a death roll at least once. I was going to say, you did early on. Yeah. I don't think I've made a death In fact, I think I've been bloodied twice. I've never had to use a second wind. Oh, I've been bloodied a lot. I've been bloodied every combat, but I've never had used a second wind. Yeah. Well, that's not true. In the last combat, you used a second wind. <laughs> Duh. Or face. I don't remember things very well anymore. <laughs> you old man. I anyway. used a second wind. Anyway, one time. The, okay. <laughs> Tim has some important questions for us. We're not going to get sidetracked on my speech about death. <laughs> Liar. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you what happened in session one, mm-hmm. and you guys are going to reminisce as much as you can remember. Okay. What did I just say? My memory is not <laughs> very right, good. So in the first session, we had the raft. You guys were all on the raft. You all worked for the raft. Game. Some of us were on the raft. Oh, you were on this other thing. Thank you. He we did not attend crabs. session one. We had the death crabs. One of them sprayed blood all over Jeff. It smelled uh, icky. I thought it was... I got sprayed, or was it... Yeah, no, no it was you, you. Got... And no one knew what happened. You were the first one that got it, okay. and everybody looks around, and they're like, holy crap, he's covered with blood. He's dead, he's dead. Don't let the cleric die. He's, he's dying. Oh, God. Oh, God. And then we had the, the midnight visitation. Right, yeah. with the homunculus. A goodly amount. A goodly amount? A goodly amount of what? I'd rather not say. <laughs> someone out there knows and is laughing. Yes, I know. That's all it takes for me. So what do you remember about that? I remember that Tim and your son came up with the monsters. And my son, did he uh, sit in with us on no, that, that one? No, that was later. You know, that was that it one. Was that one? Oh, God. I remember that. <laughs> Nothing like a nine-year-old hanging out at a D&D session, waiting to see the monster he created being destroyed. And talking about orgies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You didn't need to bring that up. I do remember something. We love the Discovery Channel. Uh, I have discovered that there's orgies on the Discovery Channel. Yeah. All right. So then, in session two, you guys did the hole in the water in, mm-hmm. and then the the needle fang drakes, which you fought for like two and a half hours. One, 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 four. I remember specifically you starting off with a with a soundtrack that eventually led to the bells. Yep. Which yeah. we had uh, kind of explored a lot of music in the game prior to kicking off this 4.0, and found that there was in fact some value to it. One of the things I hate about music and games is that somebody puts the random CD on the CD player, and inevitably it's just... Rick James comes on! Yeah, it's just some <laughs> shit music that pops up hey, at the that's wrong... that's not shit music. Some, some inappropriate, inappropriate music. cream. So, do we not use... Turn it all over your body. You heard You know, you'd end up with suddenly the, the rock theme in the middle of the romance you know, part of the game, and you end up with the combat music do playing during the Do we have a lot of romance? Co- oh, I guess you do. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I forgot. That's I right. Forgot. I support wood. Later, so, Rogan's getting it all the time. Actually, well, by the time, time people listen to this, they won't actually know what I'm doing at this time. That's true. Leandra? Bedpost? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. See, my exploits will go unnoticed, thankfully, because of this. So you end up with a, a situation where, you know, Tim had put together a soundtrack that had three quarters of the way through the track or some such, a sound effect bells. of church bells or, or some oh, other bell big bells. bell going off in the background. And so he ends up playing the scene and we are playing along, you know, we're just hum-de-dum doing this, that, and the other. We were role-playing, surprisingly. Yeah, you know, it's kind of amazing. But once we end up with a kind of a distraction, if you will, of the music 
stopping and this bell just bang, 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 we bang, bang. We all were kind of as shocked as I believe our characters. Of which Tim, of course, knowing that this was planned and had put together that track from the get-go, then jumps immediately into the, oh, and suddenly the, the alarm bells are going off and there must be an attack going on and people are starting to scream out on the streets. What do you do? And, you know, it's a nice, it's a good sort of instant immersion, yeah, if you will. Yeah, for those of you in listener land, it might sound a little simple, but it, it was, the effect was really cool. Yeah. yeah, it just goes to show that the slight effort given to you by a GM, DM, storyteller, whatever. Tim. Um, Tim. Some call him is that, uh, Tim. It, it can pay off, especially, I think, because we were pretty into the role-playing at that moment, Absolutely. being in our characters, talking in character, and so forth and so on. So that when we got that distraction, it was as much of a distraction to us as players as it was to our characters in the course of what they were doing at that moment. And that's when the creatures popped out. We, to some Two degree, kind of, of them. yeah, to some degree, ended up splitting up because there was stuff going yeah, on, on in the, the end, and there was stuff going on outside in, in the, boats, in the quote and unquote stuff town, going on yeah. in town, yeah. in the know, warehouse. Yeah, was, that was the was beginning a, of my crap rolls, really. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> really. when that's when we saw the, the glory of the dice. No, yeah. absolutely. Down so, and so I'm still wondering, and I don't know if you guys are, what no. the hell was up with the Raftmaster and his apparent suicide? Tim's still rubbing his hands about it. I'm sure it will come out in the near future. How about this? Does it matter? I was just saying, does it matter? Yeah, it was pretty funny when you all thought Dan had killed him. Yeah. We didn't know. Yeah, I like the way Dan covered it up. Though. I think I ended up in a situation to where I, for all intents and purposes, was ignorant of the entirety of that scene until way later when people told me about it. Because you didn't even know that he was dead, right. necessarily. Yeah. It was, it was actually quite a bit later that I actually learned that. So by the time I learned it, you guys had had the kind of inside joke of what was going on and perhaps Dan's involvement in it. Who actually did it and what it represented? I don't know. We were, we were all under the impression that he had a lot of enemies. We left it at that. Who killed him? Who cares? Somebody who didn't like him and the list is long. Let's move. Yeah. I think there comes a point in games where you seed something like that as a, as a dungeon master. I'm talking to you, Tim. You put something like that in the game and then you leave it sit unanswered for how many sessions at this point? And the longer many. you leave it, you end up with memory loss and the I don't care factor, both of which grow over the course of time. So ultimately, when we learn that it was the ultimate bad guy Do who from the anymore? very beginning was planning this and started us on this crusade by killing our Wrathmaster. Do we care anymore? At that point, we just go, oh, uh, okay. Well, you know... From my character's perspective, oh, I, I wanted him oh. to die. I mean, I could have cared less. I was like, man, yeah, but I from my there's no love lost between can, any can of I us. Buy that guy a Actually, beer? I think of all of the characters, Rogan was the one that had the best relationship with him. Yeah, probably. And because of my absence in that first game, because I didn't make the first session, when I got to the point where I was involved in the game, I was at the bar. I didn't see the Raft Master. He went off into the warehouse, ended up offing himself or getting killed or whatnot. Dan and, and Jeff ended up having the scene, or Rogan and Seth and Seth, Seth and or Seth Oshkin. and Oshkin, Oshkin. Thank you. And the other half uh, of the comedic <laughs> actor <laughs> ended up having that scene. And then Rogan doesn't end up finding out until at some point down the road. And the one guy who would have cared didn't really, you know, have, no. a, have a moment right <laughs> yeah. off the bat. Okay, so in the next session, uh, you went investigating the Lost Village, and then you went to try to find the Bog Man, and you met with Sergeant Rose for the first time, right. who later becomes fairly integral. <laughs> That's, that was a little happy accident. First thing, don't name an NPC Bog Man. No. I concur. <laughs> the Bog That's Man. That's two votes no That's like, that's on the like bog some man. failed superhero. 
or something like that. I don't know what it is. You know? Swamp Thing! Wow. Bugman! I guess I never thought of it that Yeah, way. because honestly, any name that you give a city or a character or whatever that has any sort of less than serious connotation to it, you know, well, kind of... a name. It, I have a hard time suspending my disbelief anyway, and when things like that get thrown into the fantasy realm, my brain skips over them like a speed bump. It's like, oh, oh, no. His name is Marlofo, but nobody calls him. Marlofo. Marlofo. Yeah. Then where did we come up with the bog man? Because that's what everybody Everybody calls calls him. Yeah. Anyway. He's a hermit. For those of you listening, I'm sure you'll you'll have some semblance of understanding of what it is that we're talking about here. But when we got to uh, the Lost Village, and ultimately when we met Sergeant Rose down the road, which people listening right now have yet to hear what we've done with Sergeant Rose, or to Sergeant Rose, or... We didn't do anything to Amongst him. We did too. <laughs> no, we didn't do it. Somebody else did it. We just Somebody did something to around. him, and then we did something to him. We've just packed him around. We've He's like... Baggage. Uh, he, he, yeah. he is no longer the useless, uh, go deliver this message NPC. I'll put right. it to you that way. He's become a, a whole different bag. kind of NPC. Which is good. So the point is, is that ultimately this NPC got laid upon us by... <laughs> got laid? <laughs> got, that was might. you, buddy. Got handed off to us by the storyteller, ultimately later on to be involved in something bigger so that we would have some sort of interpersonal tie and empathy towards the character down the road. Yeah. Yep. It was so, an accident, but it was great. Then, then what? you guys got to go to the Bogman's side to meet the ghosts. Oh, yeah. And the stone Pillars. things of proving our worth. Yeah, so that. how did you uh, deal with the whole problem with the Raven Queen non-undead person to dealing with ghosts? Yeah, because when you listen to the podcast, you're kind of a dick there. I don't know if he's a dick. <laughs> I think he could have been more for of a, a dick. change? <laughs> I think he could have been much more of a dick, actually. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. These, these are ghosts. Oh, my character can't. My character sure. won't do this. Exactly. You know what? <laughs> Ghost, this is not right. <laughs> I, believe, I believe it was whining somewhere around that. Yeah, it was kind of like that. How did I resolve it? Yeah. Halo. Player Halo. It must have been. Did you, I, make I, a, I, did you make a player decision of, well, I don't want to screw with the storyline? I, I think that's exactly what I think. I, I think I just left it at deny, deny. This didn't happen. <laughs> deny. <laughs> but, you know, I have to appreciate that more than someone who's just like, yeah, whatever, it's Ghost. I mean, someone whose character actually believes in something is yeah. actually kind of cool. Yeah, but the hardest part was I had to make that decision where, make this a big deal, do I let it go? Well, I didn't have to let it go for very long because it became almost immediately apparent that there was a path for me to take to put them at rest, and that was the end of it. True. And but yeah, I think it was all just, uh, denied, denied. Hand waving. <laughs> la, la, la. So then you guys did the pylons, and you learned that you were all descended from the... No. Well, not all of us. <laughs> there was there. That's when you were being the dick. <laughs> I wasn't being the dick. I was playing my character. That's what I was so, doing. So what's the difference? I was labeled the dick character, and yeah, you playing really. your Mr. character Wick and the being dick. a dick. Because it's, it's Jeff. Duh. Oh, oh yeah. Um, Can you feel the love? <laughs> I didn't end up touching the statues because uh, no, you didn't. Much of Rogan's past, and and again, I think if people who are listening or have listened know that. Uh, Rogan's an amnesiac. Pickled. I would amnesiac. have to imagine, and, and again, I am I not an amnesiac. Pickled. I don't know what it's like to have amnesia. I can only guess. Uh, I've actually never met anybody that suffered from it. So these are the kind of things you explore when you're when you're role playing is being a character who's might be blind or might be whatever paraplegic or whatever. Um, I have some amnesia. Someone who might wear a hat. <laughs> someone who you might remember like... things that I did that I don't have any memory <laughs> of. Someone who might like lumber. That time I went running around naked in your house. I don't remember any of that. Got wood. <laughs> when it came to 
Rogan the character as long as he had been alive. He's kind of at that crossroads of his life where he has been enough of his memory has been lost and enough of his new memory has been lived to where he doesn't know which what what person he is. Is he the person of his first handful of years up to the amnesia or is the person that he's been that he's conscious of over the last few years? And this is why Tempest gives him the beat down from time to time. It was a very strange moment. Seth knew that Rogan was probably going to react that way. And Jeff knew that Wick had two paths to take. Either jump in and find out what my past is or not. And I knew that you would not. My (laughs) my idea was with the concept of the fighter who is strong and courageous, my, my flaw for the character is a fear of his past. That ultimately he may discover that he was a bad person. He was a weak person. He was a person who had certain elements of his background that were questionable, checkered or whatnot. I think that having enough pride in the person he has become recently post his reawakening, if you will, since the amnesia is worth a lot to him. And those memories are good memories. And I think, again, not knowing what an amnesiac would actually go through, I'd have to imagine that if you've had a good life post your amnesia, meaning you've literally had 13 years or whatnot of a good life, not knowing what your first 13 were, I think that there would be a certain element or degree of fear at that yeah, point. trepidation and, for sure. And to to hint at a part of that, such as the scene with the statues or, or stone uh-huh. pylons or whatever they were, obelisk, Eng. <laughs> that he was happy with where he was to the point to where his curiosity about his path wasn't really where. Now, of course, that changed later, and I won't ruin it when you get to that specific okay. scenario. All right, so we're on to the Temple of Blood now, so you head off to the Temple of Blood. He tells you you need to get these keys. Is the boat really a building? Is that correct? The what? <laughs> what? Didn't we go sailing off in an inn? No. No, that's later. No. Okay. Okay. This is the little boat. Yeah, this is just a little rowboat that you rode. <laughs> we're on the dicky. <laughs> Dingy. <laughs> the dickies you wear around your neck. Wow. <laughs> so you go, and there's the big white marble building, and you go in, and there's the symbols of the gods. And the- right. I kind of remember that now. Oh, right. Which, as I remember in the podcast, was, well, this is one of those scenes where the player realizes that they are frustrated by everyone else's lack of action and decides to take upon themselves to just do something. Yeah, it was another time where Wick was being a dick. (laughs) Wick the dick. Have you ever met somebody during the course of your life that amidst discussion suddenly decides that the discussion is not worth as much as taking action. Yeah, that I would, would rather you. risk death <laughs> than talk to you, you anymore. Yep, yep, for fuck's sake. There is no death in 4.0. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know what? I would <laughs> rather, <laughs> I would rather risk wounding so, than talk to you anymore. Here, in brief defense at the moment, I, I, my intent, quite honestly, was not to be a prick about the whole affair, which... May very well have come across that way, and I certainly recognize that. <laughs> the word is dick. However, <laughs> however, prick is making it all too nice. By listening I to the scenario of word. which we had come up with a good guess as to how the situation could be evolved or uh, resolved, we had played out, you know, various courses of what the symbols meant. What is your finger waggling meaning? We had played out various courses of what we could do, what the symbolism of the various etchings on the floor were, and so forth. And had kind of come to a decision and then yet continued to debate whether or not there would be truth behind it. My idea was that 
the character would simply begin this course of action should at any given point he end up stumbling across something or stepping in a fashion that would end up causing harm to himself or others, that that would be the end of it. But at the very least, the idea that we otherwise had begun to settle upon as the proper course of action, my character wanting to make sure that if any harm was to come, it would befall him before it would befall someone else, ended up taking that action. So puzzles of this type need to be very simple, so people will not get bogged down well, by them. Well, take a look at how many times, and I think Tim has pointed this out several times during the course of the podcast, where he has thrown one thing in, which he, for all intents and purposes, thought was nothing, that we have grabbed onto, bit onto, and, and yeah. taken Sergeant to the Rose freaking grave. <laughs> the, the foot, the if foot. I remember. You know? Oh, Lord, the foot. So my point the bucket is, of sand, we call that. So my point is, with the group of players that we like are, that. we can get to a point where we can think and outthink and overthink things, and ultimately my character not being a very wise individual to the repercussion of his action ultimately decided that if, if, me. if our stalling point was physical harm, if the stalling point was somebody here might be hurt by a wrong decision, my character felt at that point, if that was going to be the risk, it best be given to him. This is how Wick justifies being a dick. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so okay, anyway. so then you you did eventually figure it out with yeah. Dan, actually, not, not Wick. And then you went down into the thing, and then there was the uh, foot. pylon and the... Uh, oh, there's right. no... Oh, sorry. The rope tossing. The there was a skeleton. Skeleton. skeleton yeah. The fire. I remember, again, there being a lot of discussion, and having got the cold shoulder from my dungeon master from my earlier hasty decision, I decided to just sit there and be quiet. You pouted is what you did. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but later on, you're like, well, I wanted to see if I could move this thing. I'm just going to grab it and try to pull it any which way I can. And he's like, argh, argh. Well, so I've seriously. seen that in real life. Look, yelling at me. All of you, going, I can just teleport over there. All of you playing Dungeons and Dragons can relate to this. Yes. Here's the phrase. The room appears empty. <laughs> Nothing really catches your eye. <laughs> All that is in the room is a small silver dais. These sorts of things, once you point out an object in a given room that is otherwise simplistic, you are going to buttfuck that object until you get what you want from it. (laughs) I think you're going to need to beep that. (laughs) (laughs) Can we say it's a lot like the beginning of the... Maybe you just need to break it up. Did you know that butt fucking is a lot like the violate the object? This is a lot like the beginning of the DM's guide. Forget it. We were talking about anal sex. (laughs) I didn't even want it until you said I couldn't have it. Okay, so so getting into the the single file. Right. So then there was the single file highway, which sucked, which was terrible because everybody's like, "Can I see anybody? Can I do anything?" No. No. Okay. Oh, he's dead. All right. Which is a DM decision at that point. I would point out. Well, yes, and it it did change in the published version. It's not that way. The real the realism behind it is you're playing a group of adventurers who are freaking first level and utterly clueless. They end up in a single file hallway. Do they have marching order number A16 single file? No, they just go down the damn hall. If you're an absolute nerd out there, of which I love you, you're going to place your characters in such an order to where ultimately you've got the hand-to-hand combat tank up front, you've got the the bow right behind them, you've got the, the spellcaster behind them, and you got the healer there where he can reasonably be within reach of everybody else. So moving beyond the single file hallway right. into the key room. And the lack of understanding Whoa. about what a hypodermic needle really is. Yeah, that was a little non-fantasy land for me. 
It was one of those speed bumps for me. It, yeah, it, it that became, was a Jeff stupidity, not a group stupidity. Yeah. Oh, it was a Jeff. We're yeah. going to blame Wasn't Jeff on me? this one. Because it I'm drove me you. crazy. I, 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 All I knew was Rogan was not putting his freaking blood into one of those keys. I, I, exactly, I don't think I anybody, and I wouldn't have done it either, except for that it was became yeah, immediately I apparent. I was the dick. I was the dick Kim's in that scene. It became immediately being the freaking Rogan, but does she do get that. any reprimand in the podcast? No, because she's the girl. Oh, God, to have a freaking cunt in the group. Oh yeah! He said it. He said it. I will point out that in that that particular case, it's because she's your freaking wife. It's because you're banging her. If you and me and Wick were in a tunnel someplace and we discovered an item that required us to pour a bunch of blood into it to get it to work, we would die there. <laughs> Normal people wouldn't do that. Dude, it's D and D. Exactly. But I think but it that's, was a speed bump. That's one me. of the separations between. D&D and a lot of other role-playing games is that D&D, you've got, got this uber hat of fantasy on your head that there is a key that looks like it's got a hypodermic point to it. What do you do? Well, shit, I shove it in my freaking heart! <laughs> I mean, that's exactly. D&D. I'm thinking more like bones in the nose, you know? You know? D&D is you come to the end of the passageway. There's a wall before you. I search for fucking secret, secret doors! <laughs> <laughs> no. I take out my ten foot pole and begin to poke away. Not the I freaking curse the half hour it took me to get to this point and go back. No. <laughs> you know? Now that is a great dirty trick. <laughs> you, you sit there and We search for secret doors. Well there aren't any. You, you know, son of a bitch. <laughs> you're standing there in the room. Suddenly the room changes to be filled with fire and a giant salamander appears before you. I roll to disbelief. This isn't fucking real life. This is D D. You know, yeah, but the real life stuff really throws us for a loop. But that's a problem. I think <laughs> when you've anyway. got when you've got a group of people that are trying desperately to role play their characters and with the mentality that a first level character is quite naive, when you're presented with a situation of crystal keys coming to an otherwise sharp point, what do you do? You could have just handed the, me a piece of a UFO. Yeah, the first thought, and and if I do recall back in the podcast, the first thought was actually well, I shove it into one of the dead bodies and yes, see what it does. I thought that was, you know, I, that was which is brilliant, I think. But it's the yep. I, I shove it into my arm. It just it didn't seem to be a, a logical step for me. Me either. See, and to me, it was completely logical. Because and why didn't you fucking do it? <laughs> she did. I did. She pulled Eventually, the, she, she pulled, after we were dicks, <laughs> she pulled out Rogan's dick and jumped up there. <laughs> So, in the next episode, uh, you go deeper into the bog, and then there's the encounter with the ghostly guards, and then the snake that comes down. The oh, back. the snake. <laughs> the the snake. fabulous snake. <laughs> the Conan-sized snake. And then you guys get to the Kumala. Here's the thing when you end up with an encounter like that. A snake that literally entwines itself around another character who is in desperate need of help. Especially because the snake was so freaking cool at that point. You, uh, As in, tough. Realistically. Really not tough. like... When you're, when you're trying it's desperately to put an element of realism to your character Fonzie. and you see that a friend of yours is intertwined with, with a beast that's half their size, even though that's ginormous for a snake. Just, just give me initiative and I'll get out. And you're holding an axe. And the first thing that crosses your mind is not, I swing it at the snake. <laughs> you chop your partner yeah, it's, in half. It's, well, if not you're, like that. <laughs> if you're lucky... You reach over and grab a part of the snake and try to pull it off your friend, that sort right. of stuff. It's not the, I attack the snake. It's more, I just tried desperately to get my friend out. And yeah. this is where D&D &D having as many rules as it does doesn't incorporate 
kind of the, the realities of a given situation that might not be otherwise combat related. Where somebody is being smothered, suffocated by a snake constricting upon them, somebody else wanting to just literally get their hands under a portion of it, if not to pull it off because they might not have that capability, right. but to pull it to an extent to where somebody can get a semblance sure. of breath. I think that that's something that doesn't really represent in the game. And, you know, you can, as a dungeon master, uh, throw out any 50%. number of roles yeah. you want, <laughs> but it doesn't change the fact that, look, the person is standing there. I don't have to roll to attack the snake. I just fucking grab it at that point. I don't have to do much other than wedge my hands under it to try to alleviate some cavity of space for them to take a breath. Yeah, the realism kind of takes a break when it comes to things yeah. like that. Because if you were in a real situation, you'd take but, a knife and go cut, cut. But when it's you not get, moving to defend itself. But when you get bogged down by the rules of, okay, roll to attack the snake, and you go, what? Well, I'm not real? attacking yeah. this. And then you roll to hit the snake, and they say, okay, well, what, you do, you, what do you do? Well, and you try to explain it, and you're like, okay, well, the snake technically is still using its constriction power so no matter what you do until that person breaks the grapple from the snake they're fucked and it's just that kind of well so beforehand we need to establish just kill the snake yeah it's it's <laughs> kind of the gosh now i feel like i shouldn't do anything it's really up to the player versus the snake and i'm just a witness you know? <laughs> well, i'm and, watching it happen and from a spell casting perspective what about collateral damage i mean I'm casting. Let's set it on fire. One burn creature, up your kind of spells, but that creature is wrapped around a party member. How is it that that isn't affecting the party member? Well, you can always go to the. It's magic. Yeah, that's bullshit. Well, again, that goes speed to bump, that speed bump. <laughs> reality versus gaming. Okay, so you went on, but we beat that snake. We kicked its ass after a really long time. <laughs> the Kumat. Kumat. Oh yeah. The Kumat, was that, the point was, that your, was that your swan song? The Kumat? What do you mean my swan song? Is that when you took a break? No. Right after the Kumat? Oh, no, no. It was, it was after the battle on the way out. Uh, yeah, he was there yeah, throughout I think, the entirety of the Temple of Art. That's right. I think the Kumat was... <laughs> we were walking down the endless hallway today. Quite oh, honestly, Lord. I think the Kumat was one of the coolest encounters we've had. And I think that's simply because I, I really, really like the idea that it was a very, very powerful creature. Yep. That had otherwise been screwed over by something or someone else. It represented we, world effects on the creatures that yeah, live in it. That we got to monopolize on. I mean, we had the fear of what it was we were getting ourselves into for that given moment. And then afterwards, the sudden realization of, oh, this is why we won. Yeah. <laughs> and I exactly. think not as tough as Ooh, we thought. That was we were. closer than I thought. And I think that's pretty cool. I think that so many encounters are just cut and dry that that kind of. I don't know, I mix always, it up encounter. Yeah, I always love fighting things that have been environmentally affected, as it you were. You know, and the thing is, is quite honestly, when you're, again, trying to play that naive, low-level character, you've never run across this kind of creature. You don't know what it's capable of, but the spirit of D&D is you charge in, you attack, you fucking kill. You know, it's not retreat is in my vocabulary. It's this guy is between me and my destination or me and the resolution of this plot. Thus... I attack. You know, Wick, I think that in a previous game, you taught all of us that that wasn't a wise idea with a particular ogre. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. tried. Yeah. <laughs> I know that was a lasting effect for me. <laughs> well, yeah. What? My, my butt hurt for a long time after that. But you understand what I'm saying, though. Whenever a creature is placed before a party in a D&D game, you assume that you're going to have to But, you know, it. we did a lot of thinking and strategizing and, and figuring out before we ever even... Right, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish We knew it. the Kumat was there. I'm not trying to diminish it. Yeah. I'm just simply saying that it was a very cool encounter, and the fact that 
later, after having defeated it, that we recognized part of the reason why we were as successful as we were, the fact that it was poisoned, right. uh, was very cool. It was just mm-hmm. kind of that, oh... It's so, neat to see that there so was more as tough as we thought. There we was were. more to the resolution of this encounter. Than so those just playing me. our game at home, be sure you have that reveal that the Kumat so, was. Yeah. So affected. what I think part of it is that it wasn't just insert monster, insert players now fight. There right. was more to it. Yeah. yeah. But then also part of it was it was it just showed more evidence that the Sahuagan had been there before you, that they weren't just mindless brutes, and that there yeah, was. Yeah, we were ahead on the trail of something bigger. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think, honestly, that was probably the first time that we realized that the whoever we were on the heels of were a somewhat intelligent group. Right. Okay, so then the columns where you grabbed the book out. And- that oh. happened real fast. That was kind of cool, because everybody was like, what? what? <laughs> yeah, I believe, you know what? I should probably grab my journal and read some of this stuff, but the uh, the whole scene of you magically producing this book and resolving the entire, which was just one of those We've been a part of while. <laughs> yeah, it was just that, wow. That for me as a player, having missed that first session, it was one of those assumptions that this was all covered in that first game that I missed. No. And then I saw the look from Kim Dan at that point was like, <laughs> well, clearly there's no, something else is. here. You know, they have no clue what's yeah. going did, on. Did you know? No. Oh. So, which is fine. I think in spite of our player's reaction, our characters kind of rolled with it, even yeah. though there were questions about, what happened and how did you learn that and so forth? I think it all worked out fine. Although, I, I just enjoyed the shock of it, actually. You know, and it played what out the hell interestingly. What did you just do? It played out interestingly for us. Yeah. And then, of course, when we re- went back and reviewed it and kind of looked at it within the context of the entire game, we went, uh, that's not going to fly. But I think it points out that something that's generically cool, which is that anytime the GM and a player make a little secret agreement on the side and then it plays out for everyone else, in general, that works out. Here's the here's the deal. It has to play out yes. in front oh, of everyone. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's it's a lot a, of those things. You always come up with these grand schemes, and then it kind of peters on the side or never get, comes out. And or the player just, goes sneaking off into the bushes, and, and then, then does, does it. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to have it in front of an audience. I agree. Absolutely. Okay. And what do you guys think in general about those uh, uh, carotid columns and all that, and how that worked out? I vaguely remember them. Yeah. You didn't have to fight them because you're We didn't have to fight them because we kind of went through. You know, you get that as a player out of character knowledge that, oh, shit, giant golems. We know know. what that is. (laughs) (laughs) You don't scare me. So how do you guys feel? I mean, do you feel cheated that you didn't get to fight them? No, No, not at all. I feel anytime we can avoid combat, that's... I agree. Rare. Anytime, personally, I think the players win most, or my sensation as a player is, I get more out of skirting or avoiding Escaping. a scene yeah. than you do by mm-hmm. jumping into it with swords drawn. Slip the trap. Don't. And I think that's simply because maybe it's the narcissism of you as a player or as a group have done something so special, unique, you know, beautiful that you have otherwise avoided a random die roll that will damn you or, or yeah, exactly. Whatnot, we you know? cheated yeah. ourselves into having a few extra powers left. And the way I was rolling at this point, I was happy to skirt any <laughs> combat. Because exactly. any damn group could have come and killed it, but we outsmarted. Tim doesn't kill anybody. Nobody. So, the next one was you went into the Temple of Art, so there was the big hall of entry with the big crystal sculpture and all the paintings. Everybody but you actually saw something that and the foot to them. And the foot. And Wait. the foot. The Didn't infamous I see foot. the picture of my foot? No, not until And later. if I may say so, it is a very lovely foot. Yeah, the foot with was... With a tattoo. Did it have a tattoo? It had a tattoo. I think I this was, that. for me, just one of the moments where I was just kind of 
hanging out watching everybody else and don't get me wrong it's not that he wasn't enamored with the beauty of the scene but i don't think that rogan had you know much going on at the moment dan should be here to talk about this one because his character was all digging so this then place. you guys went down into the, uh, the hall of nature in the hall of nature there was the big painting that had the blood all over it and you guys were like how oh. high is the blood off <laughs> yeah. the ground it was a little CSI <laughs> yeah. from our group at that point, yeah. trying to figure out what was going on. When you describe the one special thing in the room, Everybody's gonna everybody puts their attention on it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the hard thing as a, as a DM, is that if you are running a given scene and you want something down the road to be special, you almost have to run every single room leading up to it as having these special things so that your players get kind of blasé to it and eventually end up just going, oh, for God's sakes, we move on. Um, so then you went into the guard room and then there was well, the amp and I think that back on that other room, I think, you know, Tim and I had a lot of discussion about that because this is really where the show format changed a little bit because I was looking at this going, all right, so why the hell didn't you talk about anything else in the room? I mean, this is what we did, sure. Right. But who's to say another group isn't going to say, well, we're going to do, you know, we're going to look at all of the walls and we're going to find this other door and you're going to make these decisions. You know, why are we presenting this room the way we are? And I well, think that you you're cater right. everything to the character and or to what's important to the plot. Yeah. I think and I just... think that, you know, Tim wanted to steer us one way. Sure. I mean, you, you only have so much time for your given gaming session. You don't want to go over the minutia to where people end up drowning in detail you want to ultimately jump to what's important let the players focus their attention get a couple die rolls out of the way or a, a bit of role playing out of the way and move on so then i know that we went into the guard room and we dealt with the imps the dead body yeah. the imps and then the um tadpole salad mm, oh, salad. and this room changed with butter and lettuce you know this room changed significantly from some tweaking that we went through and did a lot of, well, this would be cooler. The map room. Which meant less at the time and more now. Yeah. Yeah. So then you went into the Hall of Masters with the Mercury Fountain, and that's where you saw your painting that had your piece of heraldry and all that. Right. Which was, unlike the, the stone obelisk things earlier, was obviously a moment where Rogan was quite literally faced with his past and not knowing really what to make out of it but obviously taking the time to stared at the you know at the picture being enamored with it well and i think that that's when rogan's character really came out and said you know i i don't necessarily want to know yeah i think so and there has really been kind of an ongoing philosophical discussion between rogan and tempest on what you were and what you are mm -hmm. don't have to have anything to do with one another yeah and, and what's kind of difficult in editing all these sessions together like you do, Tim, is that certain things need to be cut for the sake of time. And I think that there are a handful of scenes that, that you either don't get the scope of or the length of, or maybe at all, a couple of side comments. Because Kim and I sit, if you can imagine the table, the dining room table, of which Tim sits at the head, on one side is Kim and myself, with Kim being closest to Tim, and the other side being Jeff and Dan, with Jeff being closest to Tim. There are times in which, coincidentally, and I think that's simply because of table logistics, you and I are on the same side of the table, yeah. so we have that quote-unquote aside role-playing that's going on and between you and I, yeah, where if, if there's something going on that has Jeff involved and or Dan involved or the both of them involved, Kim and I will then start role-playing and having a scene. And I don't know how that works in the 
podcast, because as I'm listening to the podcast, which I, I try to keep up with, I don't know how much of that makes it and how much doesn't, but Kim and I will have sometimes quiet little conversations between ourselves about what's going on and what we're thinking, what we're doing, and, and you know, be role-playing, yeah. where just, you guys are yeah. literally talking and probably being picked up on the mics. Yeah, I'm not aware of it on the podcast, but I'm keenly aware of it when we're playing. There will be an episode coming up um, from a session like three sessions ago uh-huh. where literally... I don't know how I'm going to do it because it's four side conversations constantly throughout the entire episode. Yeah. So it's going to be uh, pretty hellish. And, and that's the kind of thing that award when I have one mic, right? So I mean, right. it's not like I can bring you guys. And that's, and that's a problem. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's, that's the, a the, reason to put up more mics. <laughs> this is what happens when you end up with scenarios, which are inevitable where <clears throat> the players to one degree or another end up splitting up. Yep. Um, and we do that frequently now. We do, and that you know, I think that's because we get a lot out of our time away from other people to have other role playing scenes. So it's just as rewarding now because we don't care if the if the dungeon master is involved with it or not. We not will so have fun on our own, which might be coming at some point. That um, recording in which there are quite literally two separate things going on by four or five total people that they might not be able to pick up on. But a lot of the stuff with Rogan in the picture was simply him having to face the fact that his past is a reality, Mm -hmm. him otherwise having tried to avoid it, and now being sort of slapped upside the face with it, kind of being torn between wanting not to know and wanting to know, and yet curious if the likelihood of the path that he's on, that the destiny that is before him is going to reveal that to him whether or not he wants it. And pretty soon he's not going to have any choice. Right. We assume. So then you went into the residence hall area and uh, had to battle with the carrying crawler. And, they and Wick got his ass kicked. Yeah. Again. Again. Yeah. Pretty much to the hiatus, I, I sucked. Yeah. Well, you know. And there may be sucking in my future. There may be. But and right now, there so. is a love of lumber. Lordy, lordy. So then, Not whole. After that encounter, <laughs> you guys went into the big chamber with the Sahuagin and had the big uh, battle with the Extendo Trident. I really remember at that point, we had obviously tried to make a big deal about our ties to the various NPCs of our past. Yep. Uh, and this was really the first time that we got to see one of them in, in, you know, <laughs> in the dire situation that they were in. Well, then this is kind of the second time that Tempest has done something very, very rash. And, and just kind of charge And you'd into kind battle. of think with the name Tempest, that would be more common. Well, you know, it happens. Are you high? Frequently it's on this side of, of the plane. Me and Sam. After that huge battle, which was a pretty epic battle, you guys headed out there and did some cleanup stuff where you picked up some bodies that you were picking up. Flame Skull. Mm-hmm. And then you ran into the Flame Skull. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kicked a, our ass. Was that was vicious. I that was a, yeah, there was a lot of burning and dying. And, were uh, you there? Flame Skull. I don't think you were there. I think that was our first after he was gone. No, because I remember oh, coming out of the closet. You exited yeah. the, uh, the temple, and then that was the really big battle. Yeah, that yes. would be the third time I charged into battle. Right. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, and that's where you're trying to choke the guy in the water, and you just couldn't yeah. go for shit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's nothing worse than having a great idea that plays out into an excellent scene, and then the dice just hate you. Well, and the saddest thing is, is that I was getting my which, ass kicked. I would say this. If your player comes up with a kick-ass scene, don't make him roll. That's partially true. Partially. Partially true. It's very true. I think it's partially true. Despite the fact that I was dying, and I was kind of depending on Rogan to save me. The problem is, if you take that to its logical conclusion, then the creative players never get to roll. 
And it's like, well, you know, I'm cool, so I don't have to work. The creative player, like anybody else, has days when he is on and days when he is off. And on those off days, he rolls like everyone else. So that was the end of the second season of Return to North was that big encounter. And so that's when Wix hiatus started. I had to get my intestinal surgery for my colostomy bag. Oh, shut it. That's right. It's when I had won the Powerball. I was traveling the world. Blah, blah, blah. And blah. It was when I discovered I was bisexual and I was trying a few other guys. You don't know. You don't know me. (laughs) So, Kim, any final thoughts signing off here? No, it's been a great game so far. I think that season three is going to be a little bit of a surprise. Dude, it has been a game carried by the players, and you know it has. I, uh... Yeah. I think it's been a game that's been carried by all of us, really. Oh, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. What? I think I am. I think for those people at home who've been so kind to listen to the podcast, I should say this. I have never done a podcast. I have never recorded any game session I have been involved in. I've never been involved with somebody who wanted to put together a podcast over Surprise. You have no idea the time that Tim commits to this sort of stuff. And if you are listening and have done a podcast, well, fucking kudos to you, man. The, the first few sessions when we had the microphones in front of us, very different than the sessions that we do now. Yeah. And I think that to some degree, there is a very small thing that is missing from all these podcasts that you're not hearing that happens during the game. And that is the social element of friends coming together, entertaining themselves and having a good time. It is for many of us at certain times that we get together, the most important part of why we get together. <laughs> and it explains, it accurately explains why the podcasts are less than an hour. <laughs> and we get together and we play, play, Three quote unquote, hours. for four, four hours. hours. Right. Everybody out there who's listening to this can only imagine because they're involved in their own games and can, can chuckle to themselves at things that they and their friends have done. And those happen here as well, you know, whether it's who farted for God's sakes or whatever's oh. going on. But. Well, you know, we have a lot of call for unedited actual play sessions. Oh, be yeah. careful what you wish. <laughs> yeah, for. And, and, and I think and, I think and we've the, said that multiple times. The illusion times. of my fine role playing will yeah, be the, ruined. The truth of the matter is this: is that I would say probably seventy five percent of what Tim cuts is just crap. dead space and crap. You it's know, twenty five percent of it is probably profanities and 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 body inside <laughs> jokes and and whatnot. Actually, I would say only five percent of it is profanity and inside jokes. But, My five percent, but fifteen percent of it is things that are just unintelligible. Oh yeah. Well, then there's that. The, the fact that we don't have microphones, literally, you know, around our necks, makes it very difficult. Because there are scenes and, and moments in any game in which you're role playing that you are quite honestly kind of whispering to the person next to you. Maybe we've gotten to the point where we're playing. We know that it's being recorded, but we don't play to the mics, if you will. And I think we only played to the mics for maybe the first two or three sessions. I would say this. Yeah, there might be an occasional two. moment yeah. that one of us will reach up towards the mic and say, Good night, folks. Cocksucker face. <laughs> or whatever. For the listeners at home, that was a four. Yeah. For those of you who can't see what Tim is doing, he's drawing a horrible diagram <laughs> of a tower. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, wait for it. It's a good one. <laughs> All right. So, Jeff, what's your final thought, Jerry? Well, I have to say, I wasn't sure what to expect from the podcast and I expected something different from the game as a whole when we first started and I was kind of floundering in my headspace about the game until I started listening to the podcast and when I figured out where you guys were coming from and what you were trying to do with it and I'd 
became fully committed to it. I think it's really cool thing and a neat idea. I think part of that is because there was so much going on that it was hard to remember from week to week. And then when you listen to the podcast, it gets it fresh in your mind again. That it, It's a, definitely a good tool for that. I have a lot of respect for what it is you're doing. You have a lot more free time than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we, we make up that free time. It's called sleep none. Last night, the games got over early. I've been up to 1 o'clock in the morning since two weeks ago, since playoffs started. <laughs> All right, so we've had final thoughts from everyone. So thank you for listening to our meta episode. Go Nuggets. Thank you for listening to Return to Northmore. Meta episode four. If you have any questions or comments, please get a hold of us on our forums at SpookyOuthouse.com. And if you love monkeys as much as I do... Thank you to our sponsors, the King of Beers, Samuel Adams, a and monkey ass beer. <laughs> a few thoughts that I'd like to lay down after this was recorded, which was actually several months ago. We've been trying to get it out uh, along with all the rest of our episodes. I wanted to offer some comments. At the time that we were recording this, I was extremely ill and had no voice. And that's why you'll hear the sections where I was talking in this episode were a little strained sounding. I was barely able to get any sound out of my voice and I had to crank the volume up quite high to have you hear me at all. The beer which Kim is referring to at the end there is actually a golden monkey, which we all declared to be tasting not as good as it could have. I want to thank you all again for listening to our meta episode and have a great day. You've been listening to Return to Northmore, a podcast released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license by Tim White and Kim Stone. Our theme music is Charge of the Valiant from Dronalyn's Tower, Legends of Kithalin Volume 1, Tales of the Long Forgotten, used by permission of its composer, David Allen Young. Find out more about their fantastic gaming music at dronalyn.com. Visit us and many other fine podcasts at spookyouthouse.com.